1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start a new book this morning. And uh, we, we got uh, finished with um, Romans. So we're going to move on into a new book now. And uh, give you some uh, introductory remarks for the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this week and next week and the next, and maybe the next, I'm not quite sure. Um, some statistics for you. There's 16 chapters. There's 437 verses. There's 9,489 words. So it's rather of a bigger book. One of Paul, Paul doesn't write much beyond 16 chapters. But uh, it's uh, compared to Romans which was 16 chapters, 9,477 words. So it's right on, you know, par with uh, 433 verses in Romans, 437 in Corinthians. So, again, uh, uh, by the way, on the overhead there, you have a map. If you've got a map in the back of your Bible, it would be kind of good to, to orient ourselves to where Corinth is. Uh, it's, it's across the way from Ephesus, the sea there. If you just kind of look straight across, you'll see Ephesus there because that is where Paul is writing the book from. And uh, we'll have uh, some things here to say about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that are in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as we begin this book here, there, it's a wonderful thing to think about the book of Corinthians. And this is uh, not, um, you can Google Corinth and get a lot of their history. Um, and uh, Corinth was a, was a vital, uh, uh, strategically located city. And it actually has three ports, Censoria, and, and that will, will remind you of Romans 16 and verse 1. Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Censoria... Caesarea, Paul will establish a church there, and Phoebe is from that group, and that's who he sends the book of Romans back across the way with. But what happens is, is Corinth is very important, and it's uh, when when uh, come back to Acts 14, just real quick. I um, think of things and not in my notes, and that's the teacher's prerogative. Um, if you look at at uh, Acts 14. And you look at verse 21, and in verse 21, 22, 23, Paul gives out the model of ministry. This is how the work of the ministry is to be done. What are we going to do? We're going to go, when they had preached the gospel to that city. So we're going to go in, we have an evangelistic outreach, get some people saved, get lost saved, and taught many. Then in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. So not only are we going to see some lost people get saved, we're going to see the saved people get edified. Okay. Then in verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church, now we're going to establish a local assembly with elders 
and then we're going to uh, get out and, uh, and, and so forth. So, but what I want you to notice is when they had preached the gospel to that city, the Apostle Paul, you can go back to 1 Corinthians now, Paul never just went to any old city, okay? He went to strategic cities. And the books in your Bible are very strategic cities. Rome, obviously the capital of the world. Corinth, Corinthians here, is the issue of this seaport. They were, this is a city on a very prominent north-south trade route. They sit right in the middle of where all of the trade of the world is going to take place. Um, it, so when, and by the way, Galatia, you get over there, that's Asia Minor, that's the Turkey area, Ephesus and so forth, is a, that another coastal city on, and so forth. You get into, into uh, Thessalonica, which is north of Corinth there, and Macedonia up there. And again, vital trade routes. This is where the people are. This is where everybody is. And literally at Corinth, it was a place of commercial trade for the whole world. That's why Rome went there first. You go back and you look at Roman history, or the history of Corinth, it was actually destroyed until the Romans showed up and they built the new Corinth, they called it. And that's the Corinth that we see here today. But because the world was there, because the world was in those ports, okay, and if you know anything about port cities, <laughs> they always have a different vibe to them, a different feel to them. They have... A, 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 it became a dominant cultural center of its day. You remember Greece and the philosophers and, and all of the, the high intellects uh, and so forth. So what you have here is you have a multicultural, international uh, environment, but actually also then what you have is the morally corrupt that comes with it, the debauchery. They called it, okay? And literally, Corinth was known worldwide for its debauchery. Not so much for everything else, but for its, uh, they would say, we're going to Corinthianize you. And that was not a good thing. It actually means to live in debauchery. Corinth had nicknames. You ever heard of Sin City? You think that's Vegas. That wasn't Vegas. That was Corinth. Corinth. It was called Carnal Corinth. And again, to, to Corinthianize someone was to corrupt them to a, a degree beyond, you know, recognition, if you will. So Corinth was a large, multicultural, international, metropolitan area. And it was filled with people from all the different backgrounds. So then guess what? All of the religions of the world are on play. Now, Aphrodite is who they worshipped uh, the most there in, 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 in Corinth, but also Apollo and all the gods. You just start naming them. They're there. By the way, Aphrodite is Rome's Easter counterpart, the, the, the fertility god. And literally, they, <laughs> they had their temples, and they had a, a thousand... Uh, um, uh, priestesses who were really prostitutes. And what they would literally do is they would pray to a, a Aphrodite for more prostitutes. 
and they would just, it was just sex, and, and I'm not trying to be, um, you know, vulgar or anything, but sex was the main push. Incarnality was their issue. So you can come in and look. I mean, like I said, you can Google Corinth, and I mean, I did, and there it is, I, you know. Or you can go look at what Paul says, because Paul is going to talk about some things. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? And from Corinthians, we can get this feel of what is happening there in and around Corinth. And I'll be honest with you, if you go and look at the cultural situation at Corinth, it is just like the United States of America today. Because guess what? There is nothing new under the sun. And what's happening at Corinth is literally going to be a representation of really what's happening in culture around the world and even today. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, you see 6, 9? Run back there to one, uh, chapter 1 and look at verse 2. And, and I meant to say this a minute ago as we got started, but looking at the history. <laughs> look at verse 2. Under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? All right? So the folks at Corinth are what? Saints. And you need to remember that as we go through this book. They are not unbelievers. Paul, is not, Paul he only writes five chapters to unbelievers. That's Romans 1 to 5. That you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need a Savior. Because what do you sinners need? That, everything else... I had a guy one time tell me, well, 95% of Paul is written about life and da-da-da-da-da. And I said, really, it's probably like 99.9 if you could get all the chapters and divide it by 13 or, you know, and figure it out. Why? Because how, how many times do you need to know how to get saved? Just one time. After that, you're good to go. And you got that life-living thing is, becomes the hiccup. So when you come back to chapter 6, verse 9, again, he, Paul is going to talk about some things here that is going to represent the, the, the saints at the church at Corinth. Okay? Paul is going to make reference here to the culture in Corinth because it's having a negative impact on the church there, the believers there. They have, a lot, they have not stood in their identity of Romans 6, 7, and 8, and they've allowed the, the carnality of their old life to seep back into church life. And literally in the church. So he says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, 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 nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. No, look at This is their past because look at verse 11. And such were some of you. This is who you were. You guys were fornicators. You were adulterers. See that? But who are you now? You're washed, um, but, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by 
the Spirit of our God. Through Paul, we can begin to see the culture in Corinth and the very fact that it is having a, it's going to be, end up looking very much like ours today, and, it's, and that is going to impact the believer because the believer at Corinth is not standing, is not been established in Romans' doctrine. When we ended Romans, I told you, Romans 16, 27 sets us up to go forward. 16 setting us up to go to Corinthians because sometimes we are acting like the Corinthians. And we need that little uh, reprove and rebuke and so forth. Come back to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. So while you are looking at the history, and again, you can Google it and everything, but at Corinth, they had, they, that was the birthplace of the games, the Olympic games, we call them today. They had different names for them over the, the Isthmus games and everything. They literally had a 20,000-seat stadium, open air, for the gladiator games and for other games and so forth. And in 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse 8. Paul is going to reference that. 4.8, Now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to them. Notice Paul referencing the issue here uh, as a spectacle to who? To the world. And there's an allurement here to, to the games. And if you think about the gladiator games, what did they like to throw in the ring with the people? The wild beast. Tear them up. Go and attack. So you've got 20,000 people up here watching, bloodthirsty watching as people are being torn to pieces by uh, wild beast animals. So Paul says there in verse 9, as it were appointed to what? To death. Because if you spoke out against the government, where were you thrown? If you were spoke out against culture, forget the government, just the culture, where were you thrown? Into the games. You were, you were the last ones on the list. And guess who got you? Leo the lion. He got you. <laughs> okay? And that's what happens. So what Paul's doing here. Is, is he's like, look, guys, we're gonna, he's going to talk about running a race. Come back to chapter 6. He's going to talk about beating the air, boxing. He's got all of this stuff that's, that's going on. Why? Because at Corinth, what were they? At Corinth, they, would turn, they wouldn't turn the TV on, but they'd turn the TV on, and they would have every sport venue going, and they would have all the theater going, and they would have all the theatrics going. They would go down. It's going to be in Athens, which is in Greece, where Paul Mars Hill, by the way, it was worse in Corinth than it ever was in Athens, according to Paul. Now, that's how bad Corinth is. It's wicked. It's carnal. Look at verse 9, 6-9. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Notice the moral decay in Corinth. Paul uses that term fornicator something like Eight or nine times. No, take that back. It's like 13 times. Eight times he uses it in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because 
By the way, he's going to answer the fornication issue in a whole chapter, chapter 7, about marriage. We don't fornicate. What do we do? We go get married. That's what, we, that's what the believer does. So fornication was a prevailing problem in the culture, in the society, and in the church at Corinth. It had seeped into that to where it was okay. See, the language here, here's the culture, and you think we had it bad. Well, Linda was showing me, you guys have heard of, have you heard of the Rainbow Bible? I didn't bring the paper with me. I think it's in my office. So if you, the Rainbow Bible, and it, it's in, they have a King James Bible. It's called the Rainbow Bible. And every word spoken by God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is underlined for you. I'm like, say what? They said the whole thing. So the whole book should be underlined. No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be what? Those letter, words in red and all that good stuff. Just the gimmicks, see, to get you, to draw you away. That's what's happening at Corinth. Look at verse 9. Adulterer, nor, you see that effeminate? Okay. Now, I know that it's not politically correct to talk about that, but when you think about effeminate, I know what the world says the Christians believe that to be talking about homosexuality. I'm going to... We're going to look at it when we get into this in chapter 6. It's not. It's actually talking about acting like a woman, unmanly. We have a thing going on today in our culture called transgender identity, right? That's effeminate. They don't know what they are, but they do know what they are, but they don't. And, and all of this, you see, so then what do they do? They look down on marriage. They look down on men. Men are bad. Masculinity is bad. By the way, it's bad until there's a war. And then they're like, well, where did everybody go? You know, okay. See, but see, the thing is, is so when you see that effeminate here, in other words, folks, what we're seeing today in our society is nothing new. It's been going on for a, since Genesis 3. It's been happening. So Corinth, in Corinth, we have a moral cesspool, if you will, that plagues the whole of humanity. It puts, the, it puts all of the human condition on display. And unfortunately, it had infiltrated down, if you come back to chapter 5, into the church at Corinth. You've got the worshipers of Ephrodite. Um, Aphrodite, I have got the P in front of the H. <laughs> Aphrodite and her thousand, you know, priestesses and all this stuff. You got all of that going on, okay? And guess what? If you stood against that, what was going to happen? What happened to Paul in Ephesus when he stood up to the Diana, the goddess Diana? What happened to him? He, he had to flee. What happens to, so where are you? Now you're in the arena and you're the, la, you're the first guy in front of Tigger the Tiger. There he is, see. And you're going to be killed in front of everybody. 5-1. It is reported commonly that there is, what? Fornication among you. See, this isn't, see, Paul's coming in to not a pristine situation here. 
He's coming into a church. He's going to establish the church. We'll see it in just a little bit here. And there's bad behavior happening. Such fornication as it is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Back then, they didn't even think it was a problem for stepson to be with stepmom. Today, guess what? That's not an issue. You want? Go. It's crazy. Come back to chapter 6. What I wanted you to see there is this is not just him talking about out there, verse 11, and such were some of you. It's moving in. If you look there at verse 9, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. All that's going on today. Nor thieves. I mean, you, we've all seen the news about the shoplifting stuff and the, the violence and the, and the crime. It's just, it's rampant. Nor covetous, nor drunkards nor extortioners, nor rivals, and such were some of you. You see, what Paul's going to do here is say, you, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. You guys need to be operating like this, not like that. You need to come over here and be who you are in Christ. Yes, you live in this culture. Yes, you live there. But where you live there doesn't, you, you live, you're in the world, you're not of the world. And you guys are of the world and you need to knock it off. And there's going to be some corrective doctrine going to be given to the Corinthians. And as we go through this book, it's going to shock you how much it probably looks like your lifestyle in the past. But that's going on in the church. That's my point. These are saints. So he's talking to people in the church. He's not talking to people outside. He says, you guys were part of that over there, and now you're this. You need to be this. Come over to Acts 18. Or back to Acts 8. So as we kind of begin this book here, <laughs> there's some things that you need to pay attention to. Notice, if you will. Acts 18. In Acts 18, we find where uh, Paul is going to write the, 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 the epistle and found the church at Athens. Okay? Acts 18, verse uh, 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. All right, so here's the setting. Athens is worse off than Corinth as far as the culture and the society. And again, it's what Paul's going to deal with. Verse 2, And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Okay? So who, what other group is there in Corinth? Not only the pagans, but who else now? The Jews. The Jews have been running. They're having the flee. They're running, and they get to Corinth. Why? They popped the boat out of Rome, and the boat landed in Corinth. So what they do? They set up shop, verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Obviously, where is Peter? I'm, I'm sorry, where is Paul? 
What's he going to do? I come to a new city. It's time to evangelize the lost. And guess what? I'm going to start right in here with the, Senate, with the Jews. Why? Because they have the oracles of God. They know who God is. They understand this, the scriptures. And I'm going to reason with them down and hopefully convert some of them. By the way, he does. See. We'll, when, why Paul's in the synagogue, we'll see more of that when we get into chapter 1. We'll answer that issue there. Verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, again, the map, Macedonia, they're up from up north. Paul was pressed in the spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. So Paul's, you know, he's ministering. He's working in the synagogue. He's on it. He's doing and yet, then what happens? Negative response, he tells them off, that's the blood on your own, upon your own hands, and he leaves. But now, notice where he goes. Because he doesn't go hop on a boat to go find a Gentile. He goes where? Right next door. Verse 7, And he departed thence, and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Think about that. <laughs> Paul leaves the synagogue. He goes out the front door, and he doesn't go anywhere else. He just goes right next door to justice, a believer. He's in the synagogue. He's been reasoned with them. They won't hear him out. So that uncircumcised in hearts and ears is still evident. And he goes right next door. So what do you see? You see God really communicating some some. some some doctrine to Israel, to, to the Jews here, about what he's doing now. Paul doesn't, again, he doesn't have to jump on a ship and go find a Gentile. He just goes right next door. Okay? And again, as we study through 1 Corinthians, we'll find the reasons why Paul did this and so forth. And that reminds me to say, if you ever look at something Paul's doing in the book of Acts that Luke is recording, your safest bet is to go find out in his epistles where that event is, and he will tell you in his epistles why he did what he's doing here. Watch verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. What, why, why, does, why did Paul baptize Crispus? Well, who is Crispus? He's a chief ruler of the synagogue. He just left the synagogue. Think about what Paul's doing. He's reasoning with them out of the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. And then he's giving them his gospel, and he's talking about dispensational issues and how all this. And they, they, he, they reject him, and he, on his way out, Crispus goes, Hang on a minute, Bubba. <laughs> Buddy, I need to talk to you. He goes, Well, I'm going next door. So they go next door, and Crispus becomes a member of the church, the body of Christ. He's a ruler in the synagogue, see. So now you got Crispus. He's a, by, by the way, Crispus, most of the rulers in the synagogues, if I can say it this way, they were Bible believers. In other words, they understood their Old Testament was the word of God. And when Paul began to lay out that Jesus, that they just crucified, was Christ, Messiah, 
it made sense to Crispus. It's like, yeah, okay, I see that. But then when Crispus looks over here and he sees Paul baptizing and doing this other stuff, because we're Acts 18, Paul's been doing a lot of stuff ministry-wise since 9. He's like, all right, why the mess? Why are you out here baptizing Gentiles? I've heard the rumors about you. And Paul goes, glad you asked. And he lays out the right division chart for him. And he fills in the blanks. So he understood that what Paul was saying was what God was doing at the moment. In the dis- you follow that? See, he wasn't just some dumb, you know, dingbat Jew. He's a chief ruler. He understood what was going on. Now, if you hold on to Acts 18, come to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 14. Paul says, And I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Isn't that interesting? Crispus and Gaius. Now, some will say, by the way, just so you kind of think about this, that the justice back in Acts 18, 7, is the Gaius in 1 Corinthians. There's no way to prove it. That's just what the, they like to say because they don't like too much you know, stuff hanging out there when nobody knows. The point is, by the way, what was Paul's attitude shortly hereafter about baptism? Verse 17, Christ sent me what? Not to baptize. So baptism was never, go back to Acts 18, a component in salvation. When the Philippian jailer asked him, sirs, what must we do? He says, believe on the Lord. And then two verses later, three verses later or so, he baptizes him. Why? Because he's got that provoking ministry, Romans 11. That's why having Romans 9, 10, and 11 under your belt helps you understand some of this because he's got that Romans 11, 11. I'm provoking him. So when Crispus sees him baptizing Gentiles, wait a minute, that's ours. What are you doing? What's God doing? And Paul is able to, to bring him up to speed. Now, look at 18.9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid. By the way, be not afraid. That means the situation wasn't exactly uh, uh, secure, was it? The Jews are a little hot. The pagans are hotter. <laughs> They're after him. So he says, fear not. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is when he's at Corinth. He's at Ephesus just on three years. He's at Corinth a year and a half. That's the longest two places he ever stayed. Okay? Verse 12. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made an insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. By the way, the archaeologists have found that judgment seat of Gallio. It's on display over there, and they've got a bunch of, you know, charge you 20 bucks to go see, okay? Especially you dumb Christians who are coming over there to look at stuff, you know, boom, we got you, you know, okay? What's that? No, it's not on YouTube, okay? It's in the archaeology book, all right? But the thing is, is so you've got Gallio. And what does Gallio do? Verse 16, he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Now watch, the chief ruler of the synagogue. 
See how Paul go, went and got the next ruler. He got pat, the senior pastor, and they promoted the, under pat, the associate to senior, and he went and got senior again. Why? Because these guys, they're paying attention. And they beat him before the judge was seated, and Gallio cared for none of these things. By the way, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, who do we have? We have Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. And I know what happens. Everybody says, well, see, that's because he was Jewish and Paul was Jew." No, he Paul never calls them my brother. He'll call them brethren. Who does he call brothers? Members of the church, the body of Christ. So when you come into this, there's great information about Corinthians in... So come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So the leaders of the synagogue are coming to understand what God's doing dispensationally. And where's the church located? Right next door. Join hard. Okay? And join hard is an issue here. Like the, you, you guys seen townhouses? You got that common wall? In Chicago, most businesses are... There, there, there's no gaps in between them. You park on the street or you park in the alley, and you're right next to each other. So as the Corinthians are speaking in tongues, doing all of those spiritual gifts, who do you think's listening can hear all that? In the synagogue, see. What do you guys doing our stuff for? And Paul is, here we go. Now when you think about when the book was written, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, you guys with me? You see what's happening? Okay, good deal. All right, 1 Corinthians 5. And just and catch verse number 9. I wrote unto you an epistle, not the company with fornicators. Okay? Evidently, Paul has already written to them before 1 Corinthians. Nowhere in 1 Corinthians does he tell them not to keep company with the fornicator. He doesn't say it that way. Okay. We don't have that letter. Okay. Evidently, when Paul has already written them, and he's writing them from Ephesus, so get 1 Corinthians 16 with Acts 19. He writes 1 Corinthians while he's sitting at Ephesus. Acts 19 and 1 Corinthians 16. But if you think about it, if he wrote it and we don't have it, that means what? It wasn't Scripture. Okay, the prophet, the gift of the prophet didn't identify it as Scripture. So it's not there. So that's one. Then he writes 1 Corinthians. Then he writes 2 Corinthians. And within 2 Corinthians, there's an indication of a fourth letter. So you've got letters. Paul is in communication with the believers, with the church at Corinth. It isn't just something that he just said, ah, I think I'll you know, shoot it out there in the ether and see what happens. There are people there, and he's obviously dealing with them and working with them. Now, 1 Corinthians 16 we're going to jump in here, verse 8. But I will, by the way, he's talking about the collection for the poor saints of the, of the saints of Jerusalem there. Get it together when I come, we'll go. But, verse 8, I will tarry at Ephesus 
until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Do you see that reference about being at Ephesus? I'm going to tarry where? At Ephesus. As he's ending the book, what's he doing? He's, I'm still here at Ephesus. I'm going to be here till Pentecost. But if you go back to Acts 19, you see a little bit more. And by the way, Timothy, if Timothy comes to you, you take care of him. Timothy does come to them. Acts 8, 19, if you look down at verse 21, Acts 19, 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Macedonia and Achaia, that's where Corinth is located in that general area. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for, he stayed at Ephesus for a season. Asia, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. That's where we're talking about. So he sends who? Timothy and Erastus. Now he's going to send Timothy, according to 1 Corinthians 16, to, to who? To those at Corinth as well. But also, you remember where Erastus was from? Look over at Romans 16. We looked at this guy, Romans 16, verse 23. Gaius, my host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, has saluteth you. And Cordus, a brother. Who is Erastus? He's the treasurer of the city. He's in the government official. But of what city? Corinth. So in Acts 19, he says, listen, I'm, I'm sitting over here at Ephesus, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to send some guys your way. And by the way, guess what they're carrying? 1 Corinthians. They're delivering. Timothy is going to deliver 1 Corinthians, our 1 Corinthians, to the church there at Corinth. Okay? So Paul writes the book at Ephesus. He's right, think about He's right across the sea, if you look at your map. And he's writing to the Corinthians. Now, think about what Paul wrote about in Ephesians. He's gotten a lot more information at Ephesus. He's getting visions daily, if you will. Okay, And then he's interacting with the church at Corinth, because there's, there's a, a letter chain going. At Ephesus... In the book of Ephesians, let's just say it like that, does Paul teach about the mystery truth? Yes. The big picture? Yes. Does Paul teach about the oneness, the, the seven ones of the body, the unity there, one spirit? Yes, he does. So he's at Corinth, I mean, sorry, he's at Ephesus, and he's going to write to the Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 6. Now, he's at Ephesus. He's got this hidden wisdom, this mystery doctrine being revealed completely to him at this point. And he's, re he's look at verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are what? 
perfect, mature. What did 16, Romans 16, 27 say you could do? If you're mature, if you're established, you can move to the Ephesians doctrine. See that? He says, guys, we're going to speak to them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor, nor the princes of this world that will come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. He says, I want to take you there. How but... Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I can't. I would love to be writing to you about the doctrines I'm learning here at Ephesus that are going to be contained in the book of Ephesians, but I can't. Chapter 3, verse 1, what are you? You're carnal. You're even as unto babes in Christ. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. See, I, I can't do this because you're not established. And I'm not going to violate the, minister, the working ministry of the Holy Spirit and force, try to force feed you this. I'm not going to do that. I can't teach you. By the way, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. And you got that great oration about the, 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 the makeup of, of, of the body and the gifts and everything. Why? What was going on at Corinth? Corinth took the last gift listed in the list, tongues, and promoted it to the big one. You know why? Because when you spoke in tongues, everybody looked at you. They put you up on the platform. You were primal. And he says, no, man, the ones you want is that apostle and that prophesying. That's what you want, the preaching. And it wasn't edifying anyway. So Paul, evidently, he, he's sitting at Ephesus. He's getting that doctrine, and yet he looks at those Corinthians, and he can't give them that doctrine at all. They're not ready for it. They can't handle it. See, There's no way for them to under, They're not ready for it. But he wrote Romans. Now come to Romans 1. He writes the book of Romans from where? From Corinth. Now look at Romans 1. So he's, he's at Rome. He's at Corinth. Now what's going on at Corinth? The moral cesspool. The debauchery. Sin City. It's all happening right here. And then he pens the book of Romans. And in chapter 1, he lays out... All that he sees happening at Corinth as the picture of the human condition. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not, a God, not, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things, everything that walked by. What did he say to those guys in Mars Hill there in Athens? You got a God to everybody. I want to talk to you about this thing you got over here to the unknown God. Let's talk about him for a little bit. What's going on at Corinth? He's writing to the Romans. He, all of this debauchery, look at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, having the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that 
which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. That's going on at Corinth. And what's Paul do? Paul says, I'm sitting in it, and this is the human condition. And he writes to Rome about it. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all. And then that whole list, all the way down to verse 32, there's the debauchery of sin. There's sin. It's in front of him at Corinth. He puts it in Romans, by the way, which is the sixth book written. Is it six? Yeah, sixth book written. 1 Corinthians is the fourth book written. And what did he do? He just laid out the human condition. Now, Romans sits at the head because it's the doctrine concerning the cross. And what does man need to know? Look at your debauchery. Look at your condition. You're a sinner. And you need some help. See. So he's using the, the, the situation. Corinth is a mess. Okay? So then why does Paul write the book? Well, there's three basic reasons, okay? <clears throat> Look at Romans 16. Go back there. The first reason, if you will, is to provide the believer a remedy for not only the human condition issues, that's Romans 1, but more importantly, this issue here of the adversarial attack that's coming. Verse 16. And, and again, what Paul's doing here is, is he's going to provide the believers some preparations. He's providing some information here. And he's looking over and, and he's looking at them and he's like, this is why you're where you're at and what's happening. Verse 17, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Notice in verse 17, the first area is that issue of they cause divisions. Come over to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And again, we've seen these links, but again, why did he... The first reason he writes it is how he ends Romans 16. There's an attack coming, good words and fair speeches. And what's going to happen is, is people are going to come in and try to cause division. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. <clears throat> now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. That means that there are what? Divisions. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, I, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? I mean, what's, happen, what's happened? The adversary has come in. He's worked his little thing. And what does he do? He says... He's caused divisions. Come over to chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 3. For ye, are not, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Divisions are there. 
chapter 11 and verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Chapter 12. Chapter 12. See, divisions. Why? Because the adversary is doing what he's attacking. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be established. He wants you to fall away. So he's going to bring in and say, you know what? You know, God's grace, he forgave that fornication. So we will too. Chapter 5, Paul says, no, kick him out. Remove it. Doesn't need to be there. They don't do it. So he gets on him a little sterner <laughs> in the next book, he writes. Chapter 12, look at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care. One of Schism, division, see? So the first reason, now go back to Romans 16. The first reason is to provide a, the believer a remedy a doctrinal remedy, edification, fortification for the adversary's attack that caused divisions. But then verse 17 also says, and offenses. Okay? So those are two different things there. Offenses now, is now what Paul's going to do is he's going to, in Corinthians, is he's going to come in and he's going to rebuke their bad behavior because their behavior has become offensive. So he comes in. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 11 there. Notice Paul, we read it just a minute ago. He says, for it hath been what? Declared unto me. One eleven. You see, he's getting report. Someone is, somebody's telling on him. <laughs> Somebody's tattling on them. Why? Because their behavior has become very offensive. In other words, have you guys have said, heard this maybe, when you go talk to somebody and they say, yeah, but you go drinking with us on Saturday night. You're telling them about Christ and the cross, and yeah, but you come over here and go to the bar with us. So what makes this, you know, hypocrite? See? Now, Going to the bar, that's no the problem. What is it? It's testimony. It's lifestyle. So what Paul's going to do now is he's going to have to come in and he's going to give them the doctrinal corrective doctrine needed to correct the bad behavior, the bad lifestyle. Chapter 5, verse 1, it hath been, it is reported commonly that there is fornication. This is a common thing. There's no, there's no, there's no decency here. See, but it's commonly reported among who? Among you, believers, and the church. Your behavior is offensive. Chapter 11. Uh, chapter 11 gets, uh, Paul just nails these guys. Uh, again, we, we read verse 18. I hear that there be, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must all be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among Paul, you know what Paul's saying there? He's like, listen, we got trouble over here, and I'm hearing about it from those who are approved among you. Those who are mature are looking at your behavior saying, that behavior doesn't match 
That isn't consistent with who you are in Christ. And they're telling you about it, and you're shutting them down. You're ridiculing them. You're telling them to go pound sand. You're telling them they're being very legalistic. You're telling them they're not under grace. They're under grace. Don't do that. And they're pulling all of the grace excuses out. So what have they had to do? They've had to go and enlist the apostle to come in here and bend them over their knees and spank them. And that's what he's going to do. So the first reason, offenses, get ready for that adversarial divisions. That's how the adversary is going to attack. Second reason, your behavior is bad. It's offensive. So we're going to rebuke that. And then the third reason, chapter 7 and verse 1. Evidently, Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. Obviously, they have asked him some questions. And he's going to reply to the questions, and he's going to set them straight. Chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 here, he, he will deal with the question about marriage. Verse 25, there's a question about virgins. And he's going to deal with them. Chapter 8, verse 1, there's the issue of touching things offered to idols. Chapter 12, verse 1, there's things about the spiritual gifts. Chapter uh, 16, there's some things about uh, the collection that they weren't doing. If you go there to chapter 16, just so you see this, verse 12, as, as touching our brother. You see that, as touching our brother? Apollos, so there were some questions there about him. Verse 1, now concerning the collection. See that, now concerning um, chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, see, chapter 8 and verse 1, as touching things offered, or uh, now as touching things offered. So you've got phrases that kind of boom, boom, the uh, light off the, the different questions so he's gonna so it appears there's a series of questions that they've asked so Paul's going to answer them but he's going to answer them with corrective doctrine to straighten out the bad behavior okay if you look over at chapter 11 chapter 11 <clears throat> if you look at verse 18 for first of all when you come together in the church I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Now look at verse 20. For when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that, and then he gives them the correct way to do the Lord's Supper. Why? They were having a potluck, calling it the Lord's Supper, so they could be spiritual. And then yet what happens? Michael gets the T-bone, Rick gets the peanut butter and jelly. Uh-oh, he's right. See. Or... Rick didn't get anything. So now what do we have? We have divisions. We have bad behavior. We have all of that. And he's, Paul's going to boom. Okay? So what you have 
is the why. Now, let me give you an outline, and then we'll, we'll be done. And by the way, you can outline this book 10 different ways to, to Christmas if you need to. But I try to keep it simple, so we'll, we'll look at it this way. Sidlow Baxter said, and I, I think it was him in his book, uh, Through the Bible, he said that Romans is the normal. Here's, all, here's the norm, all the sound doctrine, norm, sound doctrine norms for the believer. The Corinthians is the subnormal. This is sub-bad behavior. Galatians is the abnormal abnormal doctrine mixing long grace okay you can outline the book really in the three big broad sections chapter one to four paul is going to address the issue of godly thinking and the fact that it'll be a rebuke of human wisdom that carnal thinking the Corinthians had adopted human wisdom over God's wisdom, and he's going to get them. By the way, when I say get them, he's correctively doctrine. He's using doctrine to get them, okay? He's coming in, and he's like, here's the corrective doctrine to fix the issue. Then you go 5 to 11, and he's going to address the issues of godly living, godly behavior. Why? The Corinthians have rebelled against that, and they're living in carnality. So Paul's going to come in, and he's going to rebuke the carnal lifestyle that they've adopted. And he's going to get them. And they're actually, by the end of 2 Corinthians, they've begun to turn the corner. It takes some time. Why? Because this stuff is rooted into them. And then in chapters 12 to 16, Paul is going to address the issue of godly ministry. They had a complete breakdown in their thinking about how ministry was to be done, how it was to be carried out. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 are, is all that stuff about the spiritual gifts that they were just abusing because they didn't want to do it the way God said for it to be done. So Paul is going to get them. So how, 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 the, they had a, how, is it, how is ministry to be carried out? And that issue of edifying to everyone. And they literally don't get it. So Paul gives the corrective doctrine and sets it forward. By the way, in 1 Corinthians 14, there are seven rules to the tongue-talking Spiritual gifts, not just tongue-talking. He uses tongue-talking as the illustration. There's seven rules in there that Paul says, if you want to know if God's doing this, then these are the rules that have to match. And by the way, they're not matching. Why? Because the gift system is ceasing, is going away. So as we begin here, Paul is addressing some issues that we see amongst ourselves, we see in the world about us, and that need to have some corrective doctrine to it. Now you'll remember 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. That pattern and, inst and instruction in righteousness. You have to have the doctrine. That will bring the reproof and that will cause the correction. He does that in every epistle. You see that pattern. By the way, you also see the godly thinking, the godly lifestyle, the godly ministry. 
in through his. So as we begin here, we'll see. Now, next time, Lord willing, it's 4th of July weekend and you're here or not, whatever. We're going to see that there are 10 areas that Paul is going to address in the book itself. And uh, you can read 1 Corinthians and see if you can find the 10 areas. And then I'll rebuke you and tell you you're wrong. <laughs> but you can at least get on it, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, the excitement to look into it and to see what your word has to say to us today. In, in, in the areas that tend to come up in life where we may stumble and to have that doctrinal correction, the doctrinal reproof available to us so that we can correct those areas and get back to living as who we are in you. In your name we pray, amen. All right.